0: Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's men's divorce podcast moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout bringing you information for guys before during and after divorce and everything related to family law this podcast is not to be taken as legal advice and no attorney-client relationship is established.
1: Hey, welcome back. Scott Trout here, CEO, Managing Partner of Cordell & Cordell, and this is the Men's Divorce Podcast. We're glad you joined. And today, we've been talking over the last uh, several podcasts here and there, just commenting about some of the states around the country who have been, their legislatures have been very active, whether it's modifying some groundwork with related to custody matters, or they're tweaking their alimony, maintenance, spousal support statutes trying to give more guidance, moving that needle uh, ever so slowly over to one side or the other. or bringing some balance back between the parties, and Florida is no different. And we're joined by Christina out in Florida. Welcome.
0: Good afternoon. This is something that I am really excited that we can finally talk about because it is a long time coming
1: yeah this is great stuff and you know i always love it when legislatures actually do their job and they tend to do it fairly well when they do it and they're moving and advancing family law and bringing it into the current century and we were just talking offline about how uh, for example i know we'll cover it uh, missouri doesn't have very much guidance when it comes to spousal support and when we have or i have conversations like today i'm jealous because we can't give our clients much guidance so let's just get right into it and there are three topics particularly in Florida, uh, three issues in family law that uh, were changed. And so kind of give us a highlight of the the topics and when they were effective, and then we'll break down into each of them.
0: Of course. So starting July 1st of this year, we had really an overhaul that was kind of monumental for family law in Florida because we've been waiting for this for so long. Every single year, there's a lot of hype of the new laws, and then we see no change. This year we saw change almost everywhere. And so what we want to talk about today is the changes to time sharing and the impact for dads, the changes to spousal support and how we have a lot of guidance now, some changes to retirement laws and you know how guys can start to plan for that retirement impact on any support. And then we even have a change for paternity cases as well
1: today. Yeah, the paternity, we haven't touched, I don't think Missouri has touched paternity and I've been practicing, and it's my 31st year. I mean, maybe some of the child support that it touches it, but nothing to the heart of the matter. Missouri, we talk about right at the top uh, custody and time sharing. I think that's what the, the word you use in Florida. Missouri did change uh, some language as it relates to the judges where they start. And that is, they have to start at, at presumption that equal time is in the best interest of the child, which was a drastic change from when I first started. And it is, you know, a right direction. So, How has Florida changed time sharing?
0: So before July 1st, we had no presumption whatsoever. So you went into court and you were just arguing what is in the best interest of a child. And that's where that concept that mom had an advantage really was was the standard that people talked about. It wasn't in writing, but it was just the feeling that a lot of parents had. And so now going into the courtroom, there is a presumption that equal time sharing is in the best interest of a child, unless the parent who wants more than equal time can show why it is not in a child's best interest. And that is just a huge hurdle uh, that the legislature has overcome. And that's that's one of those changes that went into effect July 1st. And so that's going to impact cases that are pending, even if they were filed before July 1st, um, or any case that's filed
1: after July 1st. It is going to be interesting because that was one of the big changes in Missouri. Uh, and, it, you know, caught a lot of attention. A lot of uh, uh, people were opposed to it. And you know, the, the way our statute is written in the revision, it does, of course, give the judge a lot of discretion to determine what isn't in the best interest. So I think as it's going to take some time for it to play out in the appellate courts to try to set that framework as to what isn't in the best interest. Because you know we, we have eight factors in our statute when it comes to custody, and a number of them come into play. And the question, there, there isn't a lot of guidance in this change as to they must make a finding within each of those eight or any of those eight, or is it, and what the standard is? Is it clear and convincing? Is it preponderance? What? So what is, it? Is there any guidance in Florida as it relates to kind of getting off of the equal time that you have?
0: So, in Florida, we have factors A through T in our statute um, that the court looks to for best interest. There were no changes to those best interest factors, which is what we call them. And time sharing custody, you know, interchangeable for us, we use time sharing. Um, but essentially, the court still needs to make a best interest determination in any case where there's children involved. And so, really, the only thing that, that has really changed is that we're starting where judges are thinking, you know assuming really that equal time is going to be best and then they're going to analyze those same statutory factors and they're have to, they're going to have to make a finding as to why it is not the best for that child and your particular family circumstances so kids are still protected it's still right. the same guidelines the only thing it does is as you walk in the door you have equal standing that your kids should be in both homes, you know, at equal amounts of time. It doesn't really take away any of the safety measures that are out there if your circumstances just don't fit that equal mold.
1: Yeah, that was a big argument in those who oppose this change here in Missouri, was that, you know, you're taking away protections from kids and and it really was not a very good argument because they all are still in place and the judge has discretion to, to do that. And I agree. Going from the part of the starting point of 50-50, it's, you know, it's much easier to maintain than it was to get to that point. You know, I've always told clients that you've got to show a level of unfitness in the other parent, uh, even get close or whatever it may be. And I just, it is a huge move. And I guess the question becomes here are a lot of guys watching and listening that are thinking, well, I got divorced in Florida, you know, two years ago. Can I go back to court? Is there a modification standard that lets me get to that 50-50 equal time? How does it affect me if I've already been divorced?
0: So some of that is yet to be seen because obviously when we see big legislative changes, it's going to take some time for some case law to come out that guides the court on exactly how to do that. So every set of circumstances warrants taking a look at it we did have a change to modification in Florida, which certainly helps modifying in general. And so previously, we had to have an unanticipated material change in circumstances that in order to modify. And something that's unanticipated means that if if it could have been or was a consideration at the time of your parenting plan, your final judgment, you don't get to bring it up later. So they removed the word unanticipated, which really helps a lot when it comes to trying to modify a parenting schedule because, uh, you know, changes are going to happen, especially for a lot of our service members. It's anticipated you're going to move around, you know, that's just a reality of your circumstances. So removing that makes it easier. Now, whether that equal time sharing presumption will apply to modifications remains to be seen. And I think we're going to have to get some appellate guidance on that, but it's certainly an argument that's worth being
1: made. The unanticipated, it's interesting because a lot of our clients, or at least here, we may have what's called a um, a tender years parenting plan, where we have a, pre, a pre-education, kind of a zero to five-year-old child, and we may have a, a more frequent but less overnight. And it's anticipated that they will go to school. It's anticipated that they will mature. It's anticipated they can handle travel. Having that word really would prohibit a lot of our modifications when you get a child that goes into full-time schooling. Now they can deal with overnights or whatever, maybe. So it's a good change. So let me ask you on relocations. Uh, that's always a you know interest to me. I've been I've litigated a lot of the relocation cases taken to the Supreme Court. You know through the Court of Appeals, really interesting. So has that changed as well?
0: So we did see a positive change. Fortunately, today is all about good news. Um, when it comes to modification, when a parent is moving back, so let's say you've moved away, it happens. I've litigated several cases where we did a relocation action because one parent had to leave and perhaps, you know, the job circumstances changed or they just didn't want to be away anymore. And then they return back. You know, that alone was not a, ch- a substantial change warranting modification. Now, if a parent who lives more than 50 miles away returns to that 50 mile radius, that alone is grounds for modification to get rid of that long distance parenting plan and look at a local parenting plan. And so that's a great change as well.
1: Yeah, that's huge help. That's great. All right. Paternity. Um, One of those that, you know, we don't get a lot of, we don't talk a lot about paternity. Um, We, You know, infrequently we'll raise the issue. And I think it's kind of that we say the redheaded stepchild, you know, legislatures tend to overlook that section uh, of the statute as it relates to family law. But what changes happen with paternity?
0: So I think one of the most frustrating things for men in general when it comes to a paternity case where you're not married to your significant other and you have a child together is that the law did not previously give you any rights. You had to go and you had to stand up in court and you had to fight for those rights. And granted, you still need to do those things. It's still in your best interest as a parent to have a court adjudicate all of your rights. But what they did was they essentially gave dads who go ahead and sign either an affidavit of paternity or the birth certificate rights. Right off the bat, because you've are they're calling it the good dad law basically, that's the nickname for it because you've stepped up already and said, Yes, this is my child. And previously, it was just evidence in support of your paternity, but now it actually conveys some rights to you as well.
1: It did. We have the, you know, the simple right now, we don't have that. And guys will come and I'll say, You have no rights until you were declared to be the father. It doesn't matter if you've registered in the father putative registry, or you put your name on the birth certificate, or you've been paying child support and you've been doing custody visitation, mom can just one day just say, nope, you're getting nothing and there's no consequence to it. And it almost, I think it encouraged litigation, you know, it, and, it, and it didn't even encourage this, the, I guess, the littlest of things in terms of cooperation, but what a huge step forward to have declarative rights from the beginning. If you've taken the appropriate, and like you said, good dad steps To say, yeah, I'm stepping up. I am the dad. I'm going to put my name on the birth certificate. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so it is, it's a a really good decision. So is that also effective in July and moving forward?
0: Yes. So all the laws that we're talking about today went into effect July 1st, 2023, and they're all pending, they are all impacting any case that is not concluded with a final order or that is filed after July 1st.
1: So, if I'm in the middle of the case, these changes can c- certainly help me and uh, apply to me as well. I have no final order yet. Absolutely. All right. All right. The big one alimony, spousal support. You know, many states call it maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are states around the country, when I've had conversations with our attorneys, you know, I'm thinking Kansas or Texas, particularly, I kind of look at those as models. Now, we have guidance here in Missouri, what we think certain counties will do. Others are, you know, very subjective. I, I told somebody on Saturday. I said uh, they want to know what the status of how maintenance was determined, and I said, "Well, in Missouri, if I presented ten similar facts to the same judge ten times, I would get potentially ten different results." Yeah. And it is. It's you know, how is the judge feeling today? You know, is the judge is the judge like you? Uh, all those factors came into play because, unlike child support, which is very formulaic, albeit we have uh reasons laws provisions that allow us to deviate from the child support amount what we call the presumed maintenance in Missouri is a lifetime award that has no guidance that it's all over the board and so we were talking off camera about this I'm really excited to hear about it because I'm jealous mostly and I know every guy in Missouri will be jealous Uh, They would love to have some guidance, and hopeful as this movement goes around the country, as we're seeing, it'll start influencing states that people are watching that don't have this type of guidance. But I think it's wonderful. So, fill everybody in and what Florida, the groundbreaking move that they're making.
0: All right. So there's so many different little pieces to this. So we want to try and break it off. They did. They did different things. So I agree with you. The majority of of my career, it's been, what is my alimony exposure? Well, this is the grayest areas that you could possibly get into because it's need and ability to pay. And we still have that. But now what we have is essentially a max exposure which we really didn't have that exposure before because even though there were different types of alimony and each one had different types of exposure this this new overhaul ta- like tailored it back even more and so biggest thing number 1 permanent alimony was erased from the legislature in Florida and so the court can no longer award permanent alimony which as many know it is until one person passes away or until the other spouse remarries the person receiving the the funds remarries and so that was something that so many people wanted to avoid, but once you were at that seventeen-year mark, courts were awarding it because there was a legal presumption that it was appropriate. So, not only is the presumption gone, the ability for the court to award permanent alimony is also gone. So that was that was a number one.
1: And then, let, let me ask you though, in terms of with the guidance on this this alimony, um, the permanent nature. Well, I guess we haven't seen anything yet. We're uh, before, before this law, where most of them just. What were you saying? They'd be paying forever, even through retirement, or what were you typically seeing?
0: Yeah, so we had any marriage that was over 17 years. There was a legal presumption that support was going to continue to be paid. So then once... We hit that 17-year mark, then we got into our need and ability to pay analysis. And so if we had a if we were representing the client that made more money, then the likelihood was more likely than not, you're going to be paying permanent alimony. And it's modifiable, but you're definitely looking at litigation down the road to get rid of it. And if you don't want to litigate it at the time of retirement, or if your financial circumstances change, then you are on the hook to paying it until one of you were to pass away or the other spouse remarried. Interesting.
1: All right. Keep on going through the changes.
0: So permanent alimony is gone. The next major change is that in Florida, they categorize marriages short-term, moderate-term, and long-term, and each one comes with its different exposures, right? Right. So short-term, they changed it from a maximum of seven years to up to 10 years. And so basically they moved everything up one, you know, zero to 10 years, 10 to 20 years, and greater than 20 years as far as short-term, moderate, and long-term. Under three years, they said no alimony. And so that was another major issue. And I think that for short-term marriages, that's really going to encourage settlement right there. Right.
1: I mean, I had just thinking about that. I just finished a case where alimony was on the table. They've been married three years. Now, let me ask you, if you may not know the interpretation of what they're looking at is when they think of as less than three, are they saying from the period of separation, whatever that may be, or is it until actually adjudicated divorced?
0: So we do know the way that Florida defines a marriage is date of marriage to date of filing. And so that's right. where we calculate that time frame. And so that's why a lot of people rush to file. when they're especially when they're close to those deadlines because once you go beyond that obviously then you're in a different category
1: so what are the that's really that's i mean what a great a lot of you know you think these changes they are designed to bring structure but also reduce trial reduce litigation reduce the backlog of cases that are sitting in judges you know even with covid i mean trials were hard enough to get before covid now they're even impossible so what are then the payment structures, or what is the categories within each uh, grouping of the term of marriage?
0: So we still have all in Florida all other types of alimony except for permanent. We have temporary, we have rehabilitative, bridge the gap, and durational alimony, and so really the next big change, other than the fact that under three years, you're not getting support would be to the durational alimony because durational alimony used to be up to the duration of the marriage from date of marriage to date of filing. And so, and I personally know this because I had a judge send me on a task of figuring out, well, what, if it's up to the duration of the marriage, when is it appropriate to award less? And the answer after speaking with Lexis is that there is no answer. So there was no guidance whatsoever on that. And so now the legislature has given us even more guidance as far as if you're in that short term, moderate term, or long term, what your maximum percentage of exposure is. And it's no longer that full duration of the marriage.
1: Okay. It's so interesting. You think about, you mentioned three to 10 uh, in the marriage. I had a client, which I took up to the Supreme Court. Uh, it was a seven-year marriage. Open-ended, almost permanent alimony that had been paying for 14 years, so twice the length of the marriage. We win on at the trial level, gets terminated, reversed on the court of appeals, and affirmed to the Supreme Court, and they just left it. I mean, it's just amazing to me. You can be paying for longer than you were married, and there's no obligation on the other side to do anything. And actually, discourages marriage because that it ends the the alimony. So I, I find that and this kind of structure is is something that certainly addresses that, right?
0: It does. I think that essentially. So in that short term marriage, it has a you, you're not going to be ordered to pay more than 50 percent of that duration of the marriage in a moderate term marriage. They're looking at maximum of 60 percent. And then over 20, you're looking at a maximum of 75 percent. And so we've got those those limitations on those support. And obviously it could be anywhere in that range up to the 50 percent. And what the case law doesn't, t- or I'm sorry, what the statute doesn't tell us, and what I think we're going to see some appellate decisions coming down soon on is, you know, how does that temporary support played, paid out play into this maximum? You know, our, so let's say we've got a divorce that's pending for two years and we have a client who's been paying, you know, should they get credit towards that the overall amount of support that they have to pay for those two years or will it be on top of that? I think that it's it's open to interpretation. It's certainly an argument that needs to be made by everyone. And then we're going to find out what the district court of appeals has to say about it.
1: So you have these this great guidance with this structure about length of marriage and the max. Uh, it's always been, you know, how much, so is there a guidance on how much the court should be applying in terms of a dollar amount? Is there a minimum, a maximum? Is there any guidance there?
0: Yes. So there's a maximum guidance. Um, And so basically what it is is we're going to be looking at net incomes of both parties. And so once we have the discovery necessary to assess what those two net income figures are, it's going to be no greater than 35% of the difference of the net incomes.
1: Oh, interesting. So in in Missouri, one of the things, at least in this county, what you typically see is that's kind of the general guidance. It's not even rooted in law, uh, is we'll say that typically The court's going to look to get uh, maintenance to be 35% of of the net income, the total combined net income, 35 to 50% of the total combined. So you, you you take that number, subtract out what they may be earning, and there's your number. But that doesn't factor in child support. So child support's kind of exclusive of that, but still a consideration. So it's so loose. So how does child support come into play?
0: the child support won't be impacted because in Florida we always have to look at alimony first because once we have those alimony numbers we run child support afterwards and the reason we do that is because in child support we're looking at what are your gross incomes you know what are all your deductions but alimony plays into that so the person who's paying alimony it'll come off of their income and then it'll be added to, into the income column of the other parent and so in Florida it's all non-taxable so it's it's not a tax deduction to the payor, it's non-taxable support to the the recipient. And so then you'll just see an adjustment in child support. It's never dollar per dollar because the child support software runs it. Uh, but you certainly do get credit for the payment of the, of the support.
1: So the next big one, I know I was talking with a client talking in today, they want to retire. They're in the mid-60s and... There's no guidance in Missouri about, hey, what is an official retirement? When can you retire? When will the court consider it as not a voluntary reduction in income such that they start imputing? You know, clients are very healthy, very active, fully capable of working. Is there any guidance on retirement?
0: Yes. So we always had some guidance on retirement from the case law. There's this Florida Supreme Court case, Pem v. Pem, which was kind of our gold standard for retired parties. And it essentially created a right to retire. Through the Florida Supreme Court, but you had to wait until retirement. And there was a little bit of a gray area as far as what the appropriate retirement age was. And so now in the statute, not only do you have you know, a right to try to modify based on retirement, um, but it's at 65 as the presumed age of retirement. And then what it also does is it allows you to file six months in advance of that retirement. So let's say you've notified your employer, you know, it's time to retire, start planning that party. You can also go ahead and initiate litigation. You, you still have to show that your ability to pay is reduced by the retirement, but you can be proactive about it. And so I think that that's going to be very helpful because obviously we understand that there's a cost associated with litigation and it would be very helpful to parties retiring if they can do that while they still have that reoccurring yeah. income.
1: And not wait until the event. And now you're then, you know, you're retired and you're still technically owing this amount as months and months go by. I like it. So what what guidance do they have? What do they determine? What factors do they look to if you say, okay. I want to go ahead and modify my, or terminate, because I'm retiring in six months. What, what's the court going to look at?
0: So they're still going to look at similar factors from the PIM case. They're going to look at your health, the health of the other person, the need and the ability to pay. Um, And so they're still looking at similar factors, but it is allowing you, there's a presumption that you should be able to retire and having it in the statute is just so helpful. And so the one consideration that's most common is they'll look at your specific career right? Everybody's career is very different. Um, The time that you would retire in different careers, it can be impacted based on the type of work that you're doing. And so all of that big picture will be looked at. But the good thing is that there's a presumption that you should be able to retire and that your support should be modified or terminated if you're going to experience that decrease in pay. And then it would shift the burden to the other person saying that, you know, why it should not be modified or terminated
1: interesting you know with the these the structure the only perhaps if they got married in their 20s the only individuals that are going to be affected are those that have been married for more than 20 years because they have a cap meaning that like i think you said some are 50 of the length of the marriage and so that means you're only paying those who have been married 10 years pay five is that right
0: exactly and so, so- interesting really the biggest impact is going to be to those long-term marriages. So previously it was at 17 years. Now it's at the 20 year mark. And it's, it's not like the legislature is leaving people high and dry. So there's that, it's just giving us some guidance that if you were married for 20 years, that the maximum support should be 75% of the marriage. And so that's still a really long time that still may have you running into retirement and having to modify and things like that. And there's always that gray area that if your circumstances are exceptional and it should go beyond that, the court does have that wiggle room, but now we have guidance for the norm.
1: You know, it's interesting. You figure that if you've been married 20 years, you pay 75% of the length of the marriage. So it's another 15 years and you don't get divorced. I mean, you could be definitely well into your retirement age uh, at that point. So I see that as a, an interesting factor of, you've got to go in and try to modify at least. So you're coming up for another couple more years before it terminates. So um, it's, I get that they have that rule that 65 is it, that that is a normal. So I guess other factors that will come into play, maybe there's mandatory retirement um, that I assume comes into play aside from the 65 that they've identified.
0: Of course, I think that that's where they look at your career norm. So what does your industry consider the norm for retirement? You know, desk jobs are obviously a lot easier than a job that's going to require a physical toll on the body. And so in that type of industry, there may be a more of a normal early retirement than there would be at a career that's a little bit more sedentary. So the important thing is that you look at your circumstances and the court is looking at you as an individual and what's going on in your normal community and not just saying blanket, this is the rule.
1: Yeah, well good stuff. I'm, I'm very anxious. We'll have to get back together after a few court of appeals cases come down and see how anything has held up or been uh, reapplied or changed through. That'll be interesting. So thanks for the time and we'll definitely check back in.
0: Of course, I look forward to it.
1: Well, just like this, trying to bring you the latest changes across the country and developments as well as trending law. And today was no different. As always, a consultation is the right place to get guidance and legal advice, which is not here. Since this is just more educational information, we don't know the situation. So we talk a lot about, you know, the 50% and up to 10 years, but you can't take that for gospel until you get in with an attorney. So you can do that online at CordellCordell.com, or you can call us at 866-DADS-LAW, or just make sure you find an attorney that practices exclusively in family law, like we do at Cordell Cordell. So check us out on all our social media. Check out the next town hall coming up as well. If you don't know what that is, it's a time to log in live, ask questions, and get answers. It's free. You just have to register. It's 30 minutes during the day. Check us out on all of our social media accounts. But 866-STANZLAW, cordellcordell.com. Until next time, have a great week.